Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. This is Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, my brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Please be seated. Well, it's my pleasure now to invite Todd Kelly to come speak with us. Todd Kelly is a college church missionary, and he also serves as the International Director of Leadership Resources International. He oversees all of LRI's pastoral training venues around the world, in addition to LRI's staff of international directors and teachers. And he has been a, a college church member. He and his wife, Sue, college church members for 14 years, and they are based in Wheaton, and they have three children. So, Todd, please come and speak to us from God's Word. Thanks. Well, it is a tremendous joy to be with you, and um, this subject is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, we think of this idea of partnership in the gospel often in the place that I serve. And I want to thank uh, Pastor Kurt and Pastor Josh and others who ever organized all of this for the invitation to come and speak. Um, and as we begin, I want you to know how much we appreciate you. You are partners with us in the gospel. We are partners together in this work, and this work is your work. And so uh, as we begin, I want you to know that, and I say that not just for myself and my wife and the mission I serve with and our gratitude to you, but also for the others who are here and many others who couldn't be here who feel the very same way about you all. And so uh, please know that we appreciate you and all you are doing in this partnership for the gospel. Also, as I speak, I hope that you uh, have a sense of great joy, even like Paul does in this passage. Uh, this partnership in the gospel generates this joy, and along the way, I'll share some comments and some stories. Uh, obviously, they're limited to my own experience, but um, I hope that they will thrill your heart, that you'll multiply them over and over, because truly, there are amazing things happening. 
Uh, God is doing an amazing work in the world, and one thing of which we can be certain is that Jesus has been faithful to his promise. Remember, he said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I have traveled to nearly every corner of the globe, uh, at least once, if not more than once, Um, and I always find myself asking this question, how did he get here? How did Jesus get here? But in fact, he has, and uh, I hope that you will enter into the joy of the fact that Jesus is fulfilling this promise. My journey into missions began about 15 years ago. Prior to that, I had served in a local church as a pastor, and um, as I began, I took a trip to a country, I won't mention the name, for security reasons. But uh, as we were there for about a two, two and a half week period, we were doing teaching and training with a group of pastors. And uh, one of them in particular caught my eye, and he, he came up to me and he said, uh, Brother Todd, could we, could we speak? And so I, I knew he wanted something and wasn't quite sure what it was, but we walked out to another area, and uh, he uh, began to speak with me. And I can't fully uh, depict this for you, but if you can imagine in your mind uh, somebody that has not eaten food in a very long time. And uh, they have uh, smelled the wonderful odor, and they have uh, begun to taste of the food. But the realization is also that they're not going to be doing that for a very long time after you are gone. And so he looked at me and he said, we need this so much. We need this so much. And that situation reminded me, one, that God's spirit-empowered word is a life-giving force. Uh, it's like Isaiah said, it, it uh, gives seed to the sower, it produces uh, a harvest, and we are privileged to feast on this word every day and every week as we come here and we hear the word of God preached. I hope you know, and I know many of you do, what a blessing that is. Uh, But it also reminded me of another part of God's Word, this part that is in front of us today, Philippians chapter 1, because there is a beauty to partnering in the gospel, and it is through that partnership that God causes His Word to abound, the life-giving fruit from that Word to flow. And the reality is that God calls us to partner with Him and one another for the living, breathing, flourishing advance of the gospel, and this will resound at the day of Christ to his glory and his praise. Uh, At the end of that trip, I was describing a moment ago, uh, my boss and uh, our president at this point, he said to me, uh, is there any doubt in your mind if this work is significant? And of course, all doubts were clearly erased when that brother said, we need this so much. Life in Philippi was not ideal. Sometimes uh, we think, perhaps, that it was. Uh, We think that the theme of this book is joy, and we think that the church in Philippi was abounding with joy, but in fact, it really wasn't. We're wrong on those counts. The church in Philippi was filled with good and bad. To be sure, there were men like Epaphroditus, who nearly died for the work of Christ, Boy, wouldn't that be great to have on your tombstone? (laughs) Actually, you did die at that point. But there were also false teachers that were on the lurch. There were relational disputes that were ripping apart the harmony of the church. Uh, There were many problems. Uh, It was a challenge to walk in humility. It was a challenge to love people. It was a challenge to 
sacrifice self for the sake of others. And so Paul addresses all of these things in this letter. No, they were likely a troubled bunch of people. And I'd suggest to you that's why Paul begins the letter greeting them with the grace and the peace that come from Jesus Christ. And then he closes the letter in chapter 4, verse 23, saying to them, may the, great, or this, the peace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. In this letter, Paul is reassuring them. He, he's actually recasting their thinking so that they will center in on their great joy. If the gospel is going to advance through us, and that is Paul's concern here, verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Isn't that astounding? Uh, Paul is in prison. That's where he's speaking these words from. Uh, In my mind, I would think, well, he's in prison, so that kind of shuts things down. But Paul saw this as the avenue of the advance. Why? Because in his imprisonment, all of Caesar's household was hearing the word of God. It was spreading to the ends of the earth, right to the very center of the empire and out from there. And so this advance of the gospel is key in Paul's mind, and he's setting it up in this opening prayer of his. If the gospel will advance, at least in us and through us, We need to see ourselves first through the eyes of God. And second, we need to draw upon God's power. And those are the two things I see here and that I want to talk about today. The first is that if the gospel is going to advance in and through us, we need to see ourselves through the eyes of God. We have a new identity and we need to understand it and embrace it. We have this new identity. Uh, The question, who am I, is probably the most fundamental question in the world. And uh, if you have an unhealthy view of your identity, it will cripple you. You will walk with a limp through life. Uh, But if you have a healthy identity, it usually leads to healthy, productive living. And the follower of Jesus has this question, who am I, answered in spades. What does this identity entail? It entails being a partner in the gospel. Paul uses this word in verse 5. As he is praying for them, he remembers and gives great thanks to God because of their partnership in the gospel. Now, that word partnership is the word koinonia. It's a word we know even if we don't know the language. But that word indicates fellowship. Now, in English, this uh, leads us down a murky path uh, because if you go to Starbucks and you are meeting a non-Christian there, you probably say, we're going for coffee. If a Christian is coming, you probably say, we're having fellowship. And uh, I'm not sure that's what's intended here. In fact, I know it's not. However, the predominant idea in Paul's mind during this day is more like uh, a startup venture. Okay, A startup venture where uh, two or more parties are coming together, they're taking of all their resources and their gifts, and they're laying them on the line, they're putting them out there. There's great risk involved, but you do it for a common cause. Uh, much like that in The Lord of the Rings, one of the titles, The Fellowship of the Ring, right? They are 
gathering together around a common cause, and they are willing to sacrifice all for this common cause. There is a singularity of identity. Or a bit like what happened in 1980. You remember, right? What happened in 1980? Some of you weren't born. But others who were, that was the year at the Olympics that the U.S. hockey team beat the Russians. See, we remember they beat the Russians, and that wasn't even the final game. It's because the Russians are so good at hockey. And for years, they dominated that sport. And we had a bunch of college kids who were going out to compete against the best team in the world. And how did they do it? They did it by the discipline of self-sacrifice, laying aside anything personal, coming together and becoming one in their pursuit. This is the idea behind partnership in the gospel. What does it look like in Philippi? Well, we see it in the opening and the close and all the way throughout the book. In the opening of the book, Paul in verse 7 says, It's right for me to feel this way about you. I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. They were, this is the word, partakers. They were partners. They fellowshiped with him in his imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. They so identified with him. It's as if they were there in the prison cell with him. They so identified with him that as he boldly proclaimed, perhaps either before a judge or in his freedom, the glories of the gospel of Christ, he felt their presence with him. No doubt some of that came through prayer. Verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So you see, Paul believes in prayer. He feels the impact of prayer, and prayer is one of the key signs that one has entered into partnership in the gospel. More on that in a minute. But another way is in chapter 4, where they give of their gifts to support Paul in the evangelistic effort around the globe, a clear sign that they have become partners in the gospel. There are many other occasions in this book that help flesh out what this looks like. But this is no ordinary partnership, and this is what we need to understand. Look at verse 6. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We sometimes read this verse as if it's pulled out of its context, but if you look at it, clearly when he says, he who began a good work in you, it is referring back to what he has just said in verse 5, of partnering in the gospel. They partnered in the gospel from that first day until now, and this was no ordinary human partnership. God had begun it, and God will complete it. He will carry it out. It's so warm and nice and inspiring to know that God is behind this effort. It is his partnership. He calls us to partner with him. And he calls us to partner with one another. If the first one isn't amazing enough, the second one is as well. This partnership is God-given and it's God-sustained. He's the reason for it. And he is able to keep it to the very end for the day of Jesus Christ. So, we need to take hold of who we are. If this is our identity, we need to live out what we believe. And uh, a pastor can always tell who's in and who's out. 
A leader can always tell who is in and who's out. Why? People would come and they would say things like, uh, Pastor, you know what you need to do? But what a wonderful experience when it shifts to, Pastor, you know what we need to do? So you hear it in the language. Well, Paul is all in, and you hear it in his language. The reality is he is in prison, but yet from his prison cell, he's not rotting away. No, instead, he says, verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Or he says in verse uh, 7, I hold you in my heart. Or look at verse 8, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus. I don't think you can say it in, in a stronger way than that. He yearns for them with the affections of Christ Jesus. The the love of Christ Jesus has become his own. It has so possessed him that he expresses it to others. With God is my witness. He is saying that um, I'm calling upon the one who knows all, sees all, hears all. He is my witness that I yearn for you with the affections of Jesus Christ. We need to take hold of who we are. You know people have taken hold of who they are in this identity when they begin to see things and see themselves in a different way. This week, uh, I had somebody call me from College Church. Actually, a number of you did, for which I'm very grateful. But one person called me and said, Todd, we want you to know we're praying for your message this Sunday. We were just studying Philippians And I want you to know how grateful we are to be part of your life and your ministry. Wow. That brought me to my knees. I didn't know what to say um, except to say thank you. I, I so appreciate that. I so appreciate you. They have come to own their identity as a partner in the gospel. We have also seen plenty of this throughout the world as we have conducted our work and our training and raising up of pastors. Uh, One person told us, you know, the best thing about you is you leave. (laughs) I like that one, actually, because ours is an itinerant form of ministry, and the downtimes of our ministry are actually just as important as the times we are there. Why? Because it is a multiplication model. They are not only asked, they are expected to go and train leaders in their churches, to go and train other pastors in their region. So it is a model where they must implement it immediately. And what better thing to say? The good thing about you is you leave. He was expressing that we trust them, we're confident in them, and we show it by getting out of the way. We're partnering together in the gospel. Another person, after four years of training, we finished a time of hearing his report, and then we, as we often do, we gathered around him, we laid hands on him, and we prayed for him that God would work in him and work through his ministry and raising up other pastors. And uh, he looked up. His name is Festus. I love this name. And uh, he's from the Solomon Islands. He looked up and he said, you really trust us. You really trust us. Caught me off guard. I said, well, of course we do. But you see, it is partnership in the gospel, and it is an appreciation for God's work in them and God's work through them. God has this one master. It's not left to us. 
We don't need to worry or wring our hands as we're getting on the airplane to come back home. God's Spirit is going to do it. I could go on with examples of this, but you get the idea that partners in the gospel have a different way of speaking, a different way of relating. Perhaps, though, some of you are tempted to say to Paul, come on, Paul, (laughs) this is a bunch of hyperbole. We know that actually this kind of love doesn't exist this side of the world. I mean, to have the affections of Christ Jesus as your own, to call on God as your witness, really, Paul? Now, I suspect that uh, there are some here that do not know Christ. The gospel has never operated in your life. Repentance and faith have never come to your heart, and so you find this difficult to understand. But yes, it does exist, and many here know that partnership in their experience. And I want to challenge you to to come to Christ. I, I hope that you're drawn Uh, like a magnet to this attractiveness of the gospel and partnering in this good news of Jesus Christ that has a way of filling our hearts with joy and later we'll see causing us to be able to glorify and praise God, the greatest gift we could ever have. But there might be others here who have been deeply bruised by the church. Maybe it was some Christian leader Whatever it was, uh, I want you to know that the gospel can bind up those wounds, and one way it does that is by hearing the word proclaimed and entering in by faith, trusting God that his, what his word says is true. He can do this for you. This can be your experience. It is not hyperbole, and what a joy when you come to take hold of this. Now, the reality is, as perhaps you're assenting, there is plenty of work for us to do. And that's where Paul takes us next. Because if the gospel is going to advance in and through us, it's not only a matter of seeing differently with our eyes, seeing the way God sees us. It goes beyond that. We need to draw upon God's power. See, we have a new way of thinking, a new way of relating to God and to others. And this is exactly where Paul turns. He cries out to God for the Philippians. He says, and it is my prayer. Now, it's so easy, isn't it, to read these words and to fail to appreciate the weight of them. For many of us, when we read these words, we move right past them because we think, really, Paul's just saying, I wish for you, or I hope that in your experience. No, no. Paul is actually praying here. And prayer is the cry of the heart to God because it realizes our inability and our great need for God to show up and do something if we are to be a changed people. And nowhere is it more important than in this effort of partnership in the gospel that God show up and do his work. What does Paul cry for? He cries for that thing which is so foundational, so essential to anything and everything we could ask for. He asks for love. I find this amazing that he should ask for that. In one sense, it's the natural thing, right? If you're a Christian, you think about love, it should be love, right? But in another sense, it's very unnatural. Because we tend to be occupied with our visions, 
We tend to be occupied with the latest strategy. We tend to be occupied with refining our methodologies because we want to be effective. And if we can master these things, we think effectiveness comes. And that is a grave temptation, not only to Western civilization, but to this church as well. It is not through us that God is going to achieve his greatest work. What I mean by that, it's not through our own ingenuity. Rather, it is through the cultivation of our heart, which is really at the center of the gospel. One time a lawyer came to Jesus, and this lawyer said to Jesus, seeking to test him, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And you know what Jesus said. (laughs) What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And uh, Jesus said, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. The man knew that was an impossibility. And so it says, seeking to justify himself, he said, and who is my neighbor? Aren't you glad Jesus never asked that question? But in fact, Jesus showed the supreme love for God and neighbor by laying down his life on the cross. And thus, he paved the way for eternal life. Paul wants them to love one another, and he wants their love to grow. It wasn't as if the Philippians were a loveless bunch. They surely had love. I mean, you think back about Acts 16, right? In Acts 16, Lydia comes to faith in Christ. What does she do? She says, if, if you count me worthy, please come to my house because I want to lavish food and attention upon you. The Philippian jailer, he comes to Christ and he moves from having just beaten the apostle Paul with rods to binding up his wounds and anointing them with medicine and oil. And, and then he sets them down at a table and he feeds and strengthens and nourishes them. This church in Philippians 4 is sending a gift Paul's way. They knew love. And yet Paul says, your love needs to grow. It's kind of like us, isn't it? You can never get to the point where you're saying, well, we've loved enough now. Let's move on to the next thing. No, in this partnership in the gospel, love must flow. It must flow like a mighty river. Paul says, I pray that your love may abound more and more. That is the idea of ever-increasing quantity. But he also prays about the quality of their love with knowledge and all discernment. You see, it is the idea of an understanding of God and his ways and then discerning and being able to apply what we know of God and his ways to the specifics of life in our relationships, in this gospel partnership. This first qualification, more and more, it's the antidote to a stagnated love, isn't it? The second is an antidote to a sappy sentimentalism. Paul is interested in a love that moves from seed to harvest, and so he goes on in verse 10 and 11, and he says this, so that you may approve what is excellent and... Be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. 
He wants a love that is able to approve what is excellent. Excellent is something that is superior, and approving that is being able to test and measure and weigh and arrive at what is excellent. He speaks of both the inward life, the purity, and the outward life of blamelessness in our behavior. And why? To be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And this brings us back to why we pray, because it comes through Jesus Christ. This is why Paul prays. He understands that and acknowledges that. If Jesus is not fueling and inflaming the heart, we will know no growth. If Jesus is not fueling and inflaming the heart, there's no possibility for our love to grow and to grow so significantly that it results in this bountiful harvest. It's not done through our strength. Rather, it's done through God's. And here is the wonderful thing. The wonderful thing is that this process leads to the day of Christ. And what happens on the day of Christ? Not only are we filled with the fruit of righteousness, but our lives are to the glory and praise of God. Isn't that an amazing prospect? I mean, to think God should call us to himself, forgive our sins, I mean, that's one thing, isn't it? But to think that he can so work in our affections, stirring up our love, growing our love, taking us much further than we ever thought possible, filling us with the fruit of righteousness, all to the end that he is praised and glorified. This is the wonder of this good work that he began in us and will be faithful to complete. Paul demonstrates this love throughout the book. I think the way he deals with people is so instructive for us as we think about partnering together in the gospel. It applies here at College Church in our relationships with one another. It applies around the globe as we are interacting with people of different cultures. Notice how Paul does this in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 15. He has just told us, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward of call of God in Christ Jesus. This is Paul's heart. And then he says to them these words, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. We were studying this passage with a pastor in another country, and uh, it dawned on this pastor that this was rather different than the type of leadership he was used to seeing from pastors in his country. He was used to seeing uh, people who stood up, they were very strong in their demeanor, and they told people what to do. But notice the patience of Paul. If they don't think this way yet, it's okay. Paul says, let us hold up to what we have already attained. And then he says, uh, if in anything you think otherwise, God, God will show that to you too. How could he do that if it weren't for this deep affection within his heart? He deals differently with people than we're so... You say, but it takes too long to get there. Oh, but it's worth it. It's worth it. That's our value of expediency coming through, efficiency. We want things to be done in a quick amount of time. Not God's way. Or look at chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. I entreat you, Odi, I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord... 
Yes, I ask you also, true common compa- or true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. And then he continues on. But what, what is he saying here? He, he calls Yoda and Syntyche to set aside their differences. Their differences still exist. But set them aside because you're a partner in the gospel. You are centered around the Lord Jesus. Agree in the Lord. But then he goes on to say to this companion, help these women. He is sensitive to the need. It's not always easy to solve these disputes. But they need help. They need shepherding. They need people to come alongside. This is the way we relate as partners in the gospel. How do you know when people have come to see themselves as partners? It affects the way they relate. It affects their priorities. It affects their spirit. I remember being in one country not all that long ago, and of course, been there many times before over multi-year process of working with this group of pastors, and a denominational leader wanted to join us, and we said that would be great, you know. So, so he came a special, I think he came especially to ream out every one of the men in there who reported to him. thought, whoa, that, that's a different style of leadership. But what impressed me was that the men in that room, though they had every right to shoot back at him in the way he shot at them, and though that was the culture, and though they had experienced things like this and it had shaped their thinking, yet they didn't. They responded back in love. It was love that drove their understanding and their way of relating because I think they understood the message of this book. Your partners in the gospel. Our love will fuel this partnership. I want to raise this before you. Is this the cry of your heart? Are you desperate because you know God has to do this internal work upon your heart and upon the life of this church that we could abound more and more in love with real knowledge and all discernment that it will lead to this glorious fruit of the gospel, the partnership in the gospel. That is my prayer today, that as we hear this, we will come back to something that really is fundamental, basic, and necessary for thriving partnerships in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your great work of the gospel We thank you that you have opened our eyes, that whereas once we were blind, now we see. I pray if there are any who are here that do not know you yet, that this might be the day. Thank you for speaking your light into our lives. And Father, would you give us more light as your word has been opened, and would you work within that inner place, within each one of us, and in our life together. We want to be effective. We want to be used by you in this partnership in the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.